Lesson 10 for May 30 to June 5, Following Jesus in Everyday Life. Sabbath afternoon, May 30. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come again to open your word and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you provided salvation for each of us. And we thank you that this quarter we've been able to study about the life of Jesus and what it meant to the people around him and what it means to us. And as we look this week at how our lives can be modelled after his, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 17 and verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Let's read that again. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Though a great teacher, Jesus did not establish a school of theology or philosophy. His purpose was, as it says in Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to reveal the character of God, a revelation that culminated in the cross, where he not only showed humanity and unfallen worlds what God was really like, but he also paid the penalty for sin so that human beings, despite their fallen nature, could be redeemed. In doing this, he also created a redeemed community, a community of those who, having been saved by his death, have chosen to model his life and teachings. The call to be part of this redeemed community is a call, not to a preferred status in life, but to an absolute allegiance to the one who calls, to Christ himself. What he says becomes the disciple's law of life. What he desires becomes the disciple's sole purpose in life. No amount of outward goodness or doctrinal perfection can take the place of total allegiance to Christ and his will. Discipleship, which we owe exclusively to the indwelling Christ, makes certain imperative requirements. No competition and no substitute are permitted. Sunday, May 31, Flee Pharisaism Of the more than 80 references to Pharisees in the Gospels, approximately 20% of them are found in Luke. Pharisees were noted for their doctrinal conservatism as opposed to Sadducees, who were known for their liberal ideas. Pharisees were often legalists who, while professing to believe in grace, taught salvation by the keeping of the law. Question Read Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. What is Jesus warning about, and how is this same principle manifested today? How can we make sure that we, in our own ways, don't reflect some of the things that Jesus warned against? Luke 11, beginning at verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat, and when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, 
Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather, give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk after them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things you reproach us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say, that they might accuse him. A review of the woes in those first verses from verse 42 to 54 pronounced on the Pharisees and the scribes shows how much the call to true religion crosses every generation, including our own. For example, while tithing is a joyful acknowledgement of God's provision, it can never be a substitute for the basic demands of love and justice in human relations, as expressed in verse 42. These same ones who neglect justice and the love of God love instead the most important seats in the synagogues, as it said in verses 42 and 43. Talk about missing the point of true faith. Jesus warned too that those who equate true religion with outward rituals alone are really unclean, somewhat like those who come in contact with the dead, as we saw in verse 44, but also in Numbers chapter 19 verse 16, whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died, or a bone of a man or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. How easy to confuse what's trivial with what's sacred in the eyes of God. Also, Luke pronounced a woe on the experts in the law who used their education and experience to place intolerable religious burdens on others, while they themselves, as it said in verse 46, do not touch the burdens with one of their fingers. Meanwhile, Pharisees honoured the prophets no longer alive, but worked against the living ones. Even as Jesus spoke, some are plotting to kill the Son of God. What is important is not the honouring of prophets, but the heeding of their prophetic message of love, mercy and judgment. 
the last woe is a terrible one. Some, who had been entrusted with the key to God's kingdom, had failed in their trusteeship. Instead of using the key wisely and letting God's people come into the kingdom, they had locked them out and thrown away the key. Monday, the 1st of June. Fear God. Fear God and give glory to Him, it says in Revelation 14, verse 7. And that's the first of the three angels' messages, so central to Seventh-day Adventist life and faith. Fearing God is not being afraid, as it is often thought to be. It is realising just who God is and what His claims on us are. It is an act of faith that involves total allegiance to Him. God becomes the sole definer and arbiter of our life, our thoughts, actions, relationships and destiny. Discipleship based on that kind of fear stands on unshakable ground. Question. Read Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 12. What is Jesus saying to us here about fear? And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not two sparrows sold for copper, two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven." Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you shall answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The passage shows us whom to fear and whom not to fear. We need not fear forces that can affect only our body in the present world. Instead, We must fear and obey God because in His hands is our eternal destiny. But our God, whose eyes are on the sparrow, as it said in verse 6, and who has numbered the hairs of our head, as it said in verse 7, is loving and caring. Hence, each one of us is infinitely precious in His sight. If we truly believe that, how many earthly fears would vanish? Question Read Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. What is Jesus warning us about here? Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, 
the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. While Jesus refuses to intervene between two brothers quarrelling over the division of property, he does emphasise the relevance of the Tenth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 against the evil of covetousness and points out a significant truth for all time. Life is not made up of things, he said in Luke 12:15. The rich foolish man lived in a little world restricted to himself. Nothing else mattered to him. How careful we need to be not to fall into this same trap. This is especially crucial for those who have been blessed with an abundance of material goods. And so to finish today, though we all enjoy material things, think how little ultimate satisfaction they can really give you, especially in light of eternity. Why then is it still so easy to make the mistake that Jesus warned about in Luke 12, verses 16 to 21? Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Tuesday, June 2, Be Prepared and Watchful From the book Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 460 to 461, we have this sentence. Vigilance and fidelity have been required of God's followers in every age. But now that we are standing upon the very verge of the eternal world, holding the truths we do, having so great light, so important a work, we must double our diligence. Question. Read Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 53, and summarize what these texts mean specifically to you, especially if you have been waiting a long time for the second coming of Jesus. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. 
Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself, and have them sit down to eat, and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us, or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For every one to whom much is given from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division." For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Christians cannot afford to be lax or lethargic. The context of his sure return and the unknown hour thereof should drive us to have our robes girded and our lamps trimmed and burning. The eschatological hope must be the driving force of our life and work, our readiness and faithfulness. It is this faithfulness to do his will on earth and readiness to meet him in peace that distinguish between good and evil servants. Any neglect of faithfulness on the pretext that my master is delaying his coming, as it said in verse 45, is placing oneself under the severest forms of God's judgment. The more the privilege, the greater the responsibility, and hence, from those who are given much, much will be expected, as it said in verse 48. The ancient prophet's judgment, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion, in Amos 6.1, seems reflected in Christ's warning that Christian discipleship is not a state of ease. Paul explains the Christian life as one of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The focal point is that every Christian is involved in the cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan, and the cross draws a clear line between the two. 
Only by continual faith in the Christ of the cross can one win the final victory. And so to finish today, as it says in Luke 12.48, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. What should this text mean to us as Seventh-day Adventists? Wednesday, June 3, Be a Fruitful Witness The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their eternal counsel, before the foundation of the world, as it said in Ephesians 1.4, laid the plan of salvation. That is, even before the first human was created, and of course before the first human sinned, God had a plan in place to rescue the world. The plan is rooted in the cross, and the good news of the cross must be told to everyone in the world. The responsibility of that witness is placed on every Christian. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, Acts 1 verse 8. The final charge of Jesus underscores the importance the Lord placed on the witnessing role of his followers. Question. What lessons must those in Christian witness learn from the parable of the sower and the soil? Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Another question. What and when is the reward of the one who witnesses? Luke chapter 18, verses 24 to 30. And when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, 
how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present life, and in the age to come, eternal life. Question. What does the parable of the minus in Luke 19, verses 11 to 27, teach about faithfulness and responsibility in witnessing? Beginning at verse 11 in Luke chapter 19. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minus, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your miner has earned ten miners. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your miner has earned five miners. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your miner, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him, and give it to him who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. For I say to you, that to every one who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, and slay them before me. In each of these texts, and the others, the dangers, the responsibilities, and the rewards of witnessing and faith are revealed. We have been charged with a solemn responsibility, but considering what we have been given, how little is really asked of us. Thursday, June 4, Be a Servant Leader 
question. Read Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 27. Even as the disciples were preparing for the Last Supper, they were arguing about who among them would be the greatest in the kingdom. How does Jesus respond to their foolishness, and what is so revolutionary about his reply? Well, Luke 22, beginning at verse 24. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus' answer is unique in the history of leadership. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander, Julius Caesar, Napoleon and Genghis Khan all saw leadership in terms of power and authority over others. That's pretty much how the world has always worked in regard to power. But not so among you. On the contrary, said Jesus in Luke twenty-two twenty-six. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. In so saying, the Lord of the universe reversed the definition of leadership. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, he says in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In so defining servanthood and self-denial as the core principles of his way and his leadership, Jesus introduced a new dynamic to human relations. Fulfillment comes not from power, but from service. Leadership derives its authority not from position, but from servanthood. Transformation begins not with the throne, but with the cross. To live is to die. As it says in John 12:24, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In Luke 9, verses 46 to 48, something similar arose amongst Jesus' disciples about who would be the greatest. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest, and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him, and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. The principles of the world were still firmly entrenched in his disciples' minds. The Master's answer gets to the heart of the problem and poses one of the most difficult challenges in life in general and in the Christian life in particular. Jesus' words, especially the part about being the least among you, in verse 48, show how completely backward the world's priorities are. And so to finish today, with the principles of the world so utterly opposite of what Jesus taught here, how are we to survive if we implement his principles 
in our own lives. Friday, June 5. From the book Steps to Christ, page 58. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ's, our thoughts are with Him, and our sweetest thoughts are of Him. All we have and are is consecrated to Him. We love to bear His image, breathe His Spirit, do His will, and please Him in all things. And from the book Education, page 309. In our life here, earthly, sin-restricted though it is, the greatest joy and the highest education are in service. And in the future state, untrammeled by the limitations of sinful humanity, it is in service that our greatest joy and our highest education will be found, witnessing and ever as we witness, learning anew the riches of the glory of this mystery, which, as it says in Colossians 1.27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Jesus called the rich and successful farmer a fool in Luke 12, verse 20. One may not be rich or successful, but what makes one a fool in the sight of God. Question 2. In some of our churches we see two groups. First, the professionals, business executives, church and community leaders, and the influential, all who get respect, notice and regard. Second, the silent and the insignificant ones who just come and go without anyone taking notice of them. What can you do to make the latter feel just as important as the first group? 3. Though it's easy today to deride the Pharisees for the way that they perverted the faith, how can we be sure that we, who are zealous for the faith, are not in danger of making the same mistakes? How do we stand firm for what is right without becoming a Pharisee? Or even more important, how do we determine what is right and what is worth fighting for, as opposed to straining at gnats? And question 4. How do we maintain an attitude of vigilance and readiness for the return of Jesus when, with each passing year, it gets easier and easier to become less vigilant? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is the second part of Searching for Peace. Tan didn't plan to stay long, but because no one sent him home, he stayed and studied. As he and the elderly pastor studied the Bible, Tan learned new truths about God. He had heard about the Sabbath, but had thought that Sunday was the Sabbath. Other Christians worshipped on Sunday. Why did this group worship on Saturday? Patiently, Pastor Zoe studied and prayed with Tan. Tan prayed too, asking God to show him his truths. Little by little, God opened Tan's mind to truth and he accepted it. 
Tan stayed and studied with Pastor Zoe for seven months. During this time, he was baptized and dedicated himself to work full-time for God. Pastor Zoe assigned Tan to work in a village nearby where there was a small congregation of believers. One day, Tan answered a knock at his door and found Teo standing there. I had to find you, Teo said. I want to know your God. Surprised, Tan invited him in and learned that three days after he had left town, Teo and his friends got into a fight with a man who was the leader of a powerful gang. The young man managed to escape, but the next day someone told him that the gang leader was searching for him to kill him. His mother, distraught over her son's evil ways, begged him to leave town. While packing to go, Teo found the Bible Tan had given him. He picked it up, and it opened to Matthew 6. Teo began to read, Do not worry about your life, but seek first God's kingdom. Do not worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Teo remembered Tan's peace and wished he knew God as Tan did, so he decided to buy a one-way ticket to find his Christian friend. Tan introduced Teo to Pastor Zoe. Pastor Zoe helped Teo find work, and in the evenings they studied the Bible together. Teo absorbed the truths and accepted Christ as his Saviour and was baptised. Now a new desire burnt in Teo's heart. He wanted to become a Bible worker. He decided to return home and share his new faith with the people there. His first convert was his mother, who saw the deep change in her son's life. But few others were interested enough to listen. Teo's mother feared that if he remained in the village, he might fall back into his old ways. She urged him to return to the city and continue studying, but Teo explained to her that Jesus changes lives forever. Teo did return to the city to receive more training. He knows that it is by God's grace that he is alive, and by God's grace he wants to live for him. Both Tan and Teo are grateful for how God has led in their lives, and they continue to share their faith with others as lay pastors in southern China. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.